All right. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to come before you and learn of the Christ. Lord, I pray that the result of knowledge today is not not a result uh, that comes with winning debates or arguments, not a, a result that comes with knowledge to try to one-up or to inflate our pride because we have the, the truth and we can point out that they're wrong. Instead, Lord, if we are to boast, let us boast in Christ and let us share what is Christ and his sacrifice with others, Lord. Help us to see those who need the gospel um, and, and knowing that all of us need the gospel, Lord, help us to be quick to share it with believers, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, with the children, and with those who would claim to love Jesus, Lord. I pray that we are still quick to pull out the scriptures and teach them of the true Christ. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So uh, this was supposed to be a four-week series. Originally, uh, when we were trying to find out the timing of everything before we wanted to get into the Advent, an Advent Sunday school, um, we we needed four weeks, and I said, actually, I've got something for this um, that I've been wanting to, to do. And then our uh, brother Rob Roy came up to me afterwards and said, um, are you going to let uh, the Catholics off the hook? Are you going to let Catholicism off the hook? And it's, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's uh, you know what? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and so uh, it's a, it was an absolutely fair point. And I, I even realized for myself, I've spent my entire life in Reformed churches. And so I've spent my entire life being told how Catholicism is wrong. I've very rarely talk, spoken to anyone who has ever said Catholicism is correct, <laughs> um, let alone um, uh, anything supporting Catholic doctrine. And yet the reality is it is uh, the largest uh, religion in the world. It is has the most head count, the most bodies uh, in the world. And um, there is so much in our society that even today we are influenced by Catholicism without even realizing it. And even worse is if uh, doctrine sneaks in that maybe we've absorbed or been taught at certain points that um, are uh, dripping from papal influence rather than from scriptural influence. So today, um, uh, blessed by the encouragement of Rob Roy and uh, the support of the elders, we're, we're gonna push our Advent topic by a week, um, and then we're going to uh, cover Catholicism today uh, and get into the false Jesus of Catholicism. Uh, before we do that, what will actually help us with this is I have a, uh, our review question is, there are three, there are, there are, we, we've covered a lot of details when talking about Islam, when talking about um, uh, Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness. We've talked about a lot of details, but there are kind of three main categories, I would say, that they have similarities in their um, deception. What I'll say is Satan working his deception through these religions. So uh, what, what, are, what are these three? Or give us your best time. What do they have in common in terms of their lies? We got, we got hands up all the way back. Um, problems with the deity of Christ, 
It's kind of just categorize it let's, largely. Let's change the word from promise to denial. Or just flat <laughs> denial. I was going to say that, but I wasn't sure if it fit everyone. I think it does. Yeah, I got you. It does, as you just confirmed. <laughs> Sorry. No, you're uh, fine. And then um, I'll just say one. Let's let other people enter. Nice. I, I think Glenda had her hand up uh, back there as well. You just put the fear in Dennis for a second. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wait, no, I didn't raise my hand. There's a works component in order, and they would never really know for sure because they don't know if they worked hard enough. That's right. You need Jesus plus works to earn salvation. Jesus is pretty good, but not good enough. Dennis still does not want it. Anyone else uh, want to hit the third? So we have, uh, Jamie, is that a, that's an eyebrow scratch? <laughs> There's usually a... Uh, a key person who sets the go. agenda and the authority of the uh, belief. That's, I, you've, you, we've hit the three. There is authority outside of God and scripture that has been given for decision-making and you ongoing revelation. So um, in addition to, we then have denial of the Trinity, or excuse me, denial of the Trinity, denial of Christ as, as God, and then we also have uh, salvations plus works equals, uh, or excuse me, faith plus works equals salvation. And we've talked about this from, this is straight up the go-to play. It's the non, it, it gets me a first down every time play of Satan, which is, I need to fit works into this so that then when I accuse you for failing because you are a sinner and your works are not sufficient, right? I can condemn you and bring you down and you, are, you, you will diminish your focus on Christ. You will not allow Christ to do the work. Instead, in, instead we end up worshiping ourselves, thinking that we can take the place of God and in any way contribute to earning salvation. And the, the best way to confirm this is if we have a little extra Revelation, just a little extra, whether that is Muhammad saying, yeah, the Torah is good, uh, the, the Old Testament, there's so much good there. We have the Abrahamic faiths, but um, there's, there's been these confusions. Uh, in the Quran, we read last week how Jesus is asked by um, Allah, by, asked by, by Yahweh, are, did you say that you are our God? And Jesus says, no, they're lying about what I said. They're making up words. I never claimed to be God, right? Um, we need this extra revelation. Jehovah's Witness, they have their own translation in which they do funny business with the translation of words in particular around the deity of Christ. And it's not even um, good sneakery. It's very obvious and overt. Um, so... Uh, and then you have, for Mormons, we have uh, the Book of Mormon, the Pearl of Great Price, the Articles and Covenants. They have an ongoing apostleship and prophet where they're getting ongoing revelation. And then for, um, as far as the denial of the deity of Christ, all of them will claim, well, he is the son. He is the son of God. He, he is very important, very good. He's the son of God, but he's not, he's not like the, actually God. And all, all three of them uh, deny this. So they have all of those in common, and I think where my brother, uh, oh, there we go, uh, my brother Sean was trying to point out when saying they have problems with the Trinity uh, or or um, uh, with the deity of Christ, is that uh, he was going where I am attempting to go, which is 
all three of these categories still apply to Catholicism. Now, we're going to see they do not, while they claim deity of Christ, they're ready to claim what I would argue is polytheism and deity of men and deity of people outside of Christ, again, diluting um, the power of Christ. But it is, uh, I think we could sum it up for all of these, and you'll end up seeing when we hit in our review at the very end, I put a grid on the back page showing the consistencies of all of them, that for them it is, um, yeah, okay, we believe in, in Jesus being God, but also the saints, also Mary, we have the Pope, we have, we have the deification of men. And so um, uh, we see again that the, the denial of the Trinity um, might be a little more of a catch-all than just denial of Jesus. So the tactics of Satan are clear and consistent and there for those who see. Um, in particular, the scary thing about Catholicism as we get into it is, again, like Mormons attempt, though Mormons, it's a little more obvious that they're not on the same page as us. Um, they, Catholics will quote from Scripture. They will use Scripture. Um, they will use familiar language. Uh, almost all of their documents have some form of Scripture in addition to an ecumenical council or the Pope. Um, communication on something, but there is things and tactics in which we have, again, syncretism. We're really close. And in fact, I, there's a, been a trend over the past, what seems like 30 years, that if you look at some of the statements made by different popes and different rulers in the Catholic Church, where they're trying to um, blur the divide between Catholicism and Protestantism, there's things said, well, I agree with um, uh, one of them, Pope, Pope Benedict, uh, I think, I forget the number. So I, Martin Luther and sola fide, so this idea that you are saved by faith alone, I agree with that as long as it means this, but, but we can agree. Whereas popes before would say, um, would absolutely um, condemn Martin Luther and his teachings. So there is this attempt, just like uh, when I've been evangelizing to my boss uh, or my former boss at work who is Muslim, him to talk about we have the Abrahamic faiths, oh yes, Jesus was a good man and a prophet. Like they want to get on the same page. We're in a similar place. Um, Jehovah's Witnesses, same thing. Mormons, same thing. To the point of calling, saying we all believe in Jesus, we all love Jesus. Uh, the Catholic Church does it as well, which is this syncretism. We're not that different. We just have a little extra. Um, I remember the Pretty much the only person I know, uh, I have ever known that was a strong Catholic and really knew their scriptures used to tell me, uh, I would argue with him, he was a, actually a kid I was coaching on a basketball team, um, I was arguing with him uh, or debating with him over uh, some topics, and he's like, look, I've got the same thing as you, I just have a little extra, and that's what his go-to phrase was for Catholicism. So. Uh, this little extra is a problem, and um, we do not have the same thing even to begin with. So let's, let's start with this. Whoever has the microphone, I'm going to pull a little bit of an audible. What I would like you to do is um, turn to, uh, to Mark chapter 3, verse 16. And read that for us whenever you get there. Uh, Mark 3.16, yeah, whoever has the microphone. He appointed the twelve, 
Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Borangris, that is, sons of thunder. Oh, 316. Oh, yep. wait. Yep, that's 316. it. 316. Oh, just 16. Yeah. Thank you. No, no, nothing to apologize for. Um, and then um, uh, whoever has the mic, if you would turn to um, 1 Corinthians 15, 5. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. And then Matt, whoever has a microphone next, we're going to do Matthew 16, 18, and 19. And for those, for that last passage, for those who do not know, Cephas is the um, Aramaic name of Peter, Apostle Peter. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Okay. There are a couple other verses that feed into it, but you essentially have the entire Catholic Church coming out of these verses that were just read. It is this idea, it is all founded on this idea that Christ handed over a substantial amount of authority to Peter and the supremacy of Peter. In fact, they have a specific doctrine on the supremacy of Peter. And this idea that, not that Peter did not sin, um, in fact, it, I think it would be very uh, foolish to say that because we have Paul confronting Peter. Um, uh, in, I believe, Acts, confronting Peter for his association um, uh, with the Jews and, and Jewish uh, customs, rather than focusing on um, grace alone. But what we, um, what we end up seeing is, for the Catholic Church, is this idea that Peter is supreme. From Peter, now that he leads the church and has special authority, everything else comes. Everything else flows. There are authorities on earth, men, that can give us additional revelation. So you can see on your document, based on, with this, with this armed, we're going to go through and look at some of this. And I, I will say, again, our focus of this entire series is on, um, is focused on Jesus specifically. So we aren't able to go through all the theses of Martin Luther or all we're not going through all the solas today or any of that those are really good studies um, and those who are less familiar with reformed theology um, or even those that are it is a worthwhile study um, but today we're going to look through then how the deification of man and the taking away from Jesus how this relates to Jesus specifically so whoever has the microphone please um, read that first paragraph paragraph under Catholic Jesus is not part of a trinity. And when I say not part of a trinity, what I'm referring to here is they have made for themselves a pantheon of gods in men. The intercession of the saints, quote, being more closely united to Christ, those who dwell in heaven fix the whole church more firmly in holiness. They do not cease to intercede with the Father for us as they proffer the merits which they require on earth 
through one, through the one mediator between God and man, Christ Jesus. So by their fraternal concern is our weakness greatly helped, end quote. Catholicism of the Catholic Church. Thank you. And then whoever has the mic next, if you would read um, that next paragraph for us. The special devotion at Mary, Queen of the Universe Shrine, is related to the Blessed Eucharist. Indeed, the shrine, standing at the edge of Walt Disney World, represents everything that is Catholic. In addition to the Eucharist, it emphasizes devotion to the Mother of God as one of the God-given gifts, enabling us to reach the salvation for which Christ gave us his life on the cross. What is Shrine? By Mary Queen, Queen of the Universe.com. Okay. So if anyone has seen the, the imagery of the Catholic Church or a shrine, perhaps on a drive, uh, especially if you drive to Mexico or um, uh, those of you who have traveled to Europe, you'll see many of these, even just on the sides of the road, little shrines made up. We see the deification of man. Uh, this is before even talking about the Pope and ecumenical councils and bishops, which call themselves infallible, um, uh, and calling the church infallible, calling uh, the Pope infallible. But we see this deification of the saints. Um, they call into question, did, did Mary really die? Did Mary really die? Did Mary have original sin? Did Mary have sin in her? There is a deification of humans, of humans. And the fact that you have a phrase said that is, these are written by, this is the, the official, an official writing on Mary, uh, on Mary for this particular shrine in Florida. It's a, one of the TripAdvisor's top 10 sites in Florida, if you ever wanna go. It's a shrine for Mary and the writing of the bishop say that um, in addition to the Eucharist, it emphasizes devotion to the mother of God as one of the God-given gifts, enabling us to reach that salvation. Thank goodness for the God-given gift of being able to experience the worship and devotion of a shrine of Mary. And so we see the worshiping of images, the worship of man, not the worship of Christ, uh, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, Whoever has a microphone, please, let's see what um, the law, what the Ten Commandments, what God has to say about worshiping the images of, of someone other than God. Hmm, worshiping images at all. Exodus 24 through 5. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that as in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. All right. Um, the fact that bowing is such a frequent process in the uh, devotion at shrines, uh, despite the explicit, um, the explicit decrees against it by God um, is incredible. And if you look at the Catholic catechism, uh, when they talk about the Ten Commandments, so they, they order the Ten Commandments differently than what most of us are familiar with um, 
in terms of order. But the biggest deal is that in the catechism, they include in the telling of the Ten Commandments, they specifically exclude the portion that talks about the images, uh, that talks about the images in the catechism. Uh, um, Nick, if you'd read for us Acts 17.29. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. God is not an image. You shall not have any worship any images. And yet we see this done. We see this done. Whether it is the image even of the Eucharist, right? Even that is an image. In it being the body of Christ made through transubstantiation, you have the body of Christ. You have the deification of bread because it has now been made deity, right? <laughs> it has been made deity. So then we have Jesus now shares divine revelation and authority, and I would say attributes with men. I, I would add attributes probably if I were to go back and, and revise um, this header. We have uh, a few different doctrines or dogma that have come out of the Catholic Church that give itself a significant authority, uh, including uh, we have the doctrine of papal infallibility, which we'll look at, um, which is when the Pope rules and makes a decision on morality, when he makes a decision ruling on morality, it is infallible. It does not matter. In, in fact, if you even go through and look at, um, uh, there's a few, got, um, askacatholic.com, if you go to um, uh, I think it's like catholic.com. There's a bunch of these. And you, if you go through and search all their websites and just type in infallibility, they immediately try to start defending the popes. That even if they were fallen, uh, that if they're men who are sinning at times and have done things that are shameful, when it comes to ruling on morality, they, it is impossible for them to fail. They are the authority on the morality of scripture. Um, whoever has, uh, uh, Cindy, you have the microphone. Would you mind reading um, that um, first line and paragraph there? Catholic doctrine of papal infallibility, infallibility allows the Pope to determine morality. Infallibility belongs in a special way to the Pope as head of the bishops. As Vatican II remarked, it is a charis charisma. <laughs> char char Charism. Thank you. It is a charism the Pope enjoys in virtue of his office when, as the supreme shepherd and teacher of all the faith, faithful who confirms his brethren in the faith, he proclaims by a de definitive act some doctrine of faith or morals. Therefore, his definitions of themselves and not from the consent of the church are justly held irreformable, for they are pronounced with the assistance of the Holy Spirit, an assistance promised to him in blessedpetercatholic.com. So, and then that charism is referring to a special power or gifting from the Holy Spirit. So, um, uh, I have only read the word, Cindy, I have not heard it said out loud, so it might be charism, I'm not, I'm not sure. But the idea here that even the church, even the council of men, right, of, of wise men, Okay, so this is the least congregational thing you can do, is to say there is one man on the top. In fact, let's make it very clear. Let's give him a big pointy hat, and he's going to be the one in charge by, because of Blessed Peter, he cannot be overruled when making a, a ruling on a doctrine. 
Uh, and then they quote scriptures. And some of the, many of these scriptures are the ones giving authority to Peter to continue on and found the church. When we, when we see, when we talk to Catholics and when we talk to other Catholics, and I'll be curious when we get to a point here soon to hear from Nick and others maybe who have experience with the Catholic church, not often do you talk to them and is there questions regarding the Pope. Usually when I, every, when I, when I have spoken to Catholics, we get into talk, talking about doctrine. And when you try to bring up the Pope, there's almost like a distancing. Well, yeah, there's some good, I liked this Pope. This was a good Pope. Let's celebrate him, the one who just died, that, that it, he's celebrated as though a president or some other great man has died. Um, that, that Pope wasn't as good. I have issues with this or that. And yet, here we have someone who they believe by doctrine has authority the same, the authority to declare what is moral and what is immoral. And that once it is done, it is, the church cannot have a referendum on it. They cannot change it because it has been said by, uh, by someone who is blessed by Peter. And yet we're gonna read a quote here from who at the time when he wrote this, when he wrote this was Cardinal Ratzinger. This is before he becomes Pope Benedict XVI. Um, so he eventually becomes a Pope who has this power. Let's see what he has to say on a specific doctrine. One of the doctrines that was ruled on by, um, by a previous pope was saying that um, the priesthood is for men and men alone. Okay, so no one else can be ordained a priest except for a man. But then here we have Pope Benedict uh, speaking on uh, this topic and somewhat affirming that, but then adding a nice little extra slice of divine revelation in there. So whoever has the mic, um, Mark, it looks like you, would you read that, that quote from a writing um, by Pope Benedict? The more recent teaching regarding the doctrine that priestly ordination is reserved only to men. The Supreme Pontiff, while not wishing to proceed to a dogmatic definition, intended to reaffirm that this doctrine is to be held definitively since founded on the written word of God, constantly preserved and applied in the tradition of the church, it has been set forth infallibly by the ordinary and universal magisterium. As the prior example illustrates, this does not foreclose the possibility that, in the future, the consciousness of the church might progress to the point where this teaching could be defined as a doctrine to be believed as divinely revealed. Okay, if the consciousness of the church progresses far enough, Maybe that means, so if we have enough unity far enough, we can see this as being divinely revealed, uh, that there might be a progression or a change. And so what we end up having later further with this same man is the one who then claims, well, I actually don't disagree that, that with Martin Luther, Martin Luther on sola fide, as long as it comes with it being faith alone in Jesus along with charity and um, there was another aspect. It was charity and another workspace thing that he, as long as it comes in with these other good, ver and love I think was the other one, uh, with love and charity. And you start to have this, this desire of almost what looks like peacekeeping on the surface, but really is instead an attempt to blend in the with the world, make sure that more come in. And so whether it is him opening the door for ongoing changes from 
on previous rulings on what is supposedly infallible, or him attempting to uh, become more closely aligned with Protestants uh, and uh, those who would call themselves uh, Christians, he is attempting to appease men, but still keep authority at this ecumenical level, at this ecumenical council level. And so you hear, see there that we have this magisterium, we have a uh, mysterious group of, of cardinals that when they rule together, they are infallible with the Pope being their head, and they are the authority to choose things uh, from the top coming down. Uh, so with this, um, uh, in addition to this, they have then adopted and brought on of have considered as scripture the Apocrypha, additional writings for which there is no um, support. We've, we've actually addressed this some a long time ago in, the, in our teaching on um, scripture and the authority of scripture and, and um, uh, the continuity of scripture. Uh, there's quite a bit to go into as to why the Apocrypha does not stand up on its own legs. And yet, like these other religions, when they, you bring in the Apocrypha and you bring in these other texts in which there's clearly no standing and there are errors and they are fallible, and they teach things contrary to scripture, no internal support by other apostles, all the things and, that we look at when it comes to the canon, they have included in the canon, and with this is where we get essential doctrines like purgatory, further emphasis of good works to earn salvation, giving of alms, right? A lot of the same things that are in the Book of Mormon, that are the things we read in Islam, talking about charity and the works and uh, almsgiving being one of the specific requirements of, of the five pillars of being a Muslim. And then um, uh, Jehovah's Witness as well, where um, uh, on their website, you can go and look under a whole section under charity and how God's expectation for charity is then giving to the nonprofit that is um, Jehovah's Witness. So uh, let's look at scripture and what scripture has to say about the idea of ongoing revelation or authority that belongs to God being given to others um, when it comes to defining morality or giving additional teaching in scriptures. Um, whoever has the microphone, 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17, please. But as for you, continue, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Scripture, that man of God may be complete. We do not need the addition. Uh, Matthew uh, 15, if you'd read verse 3, and then 7 and through 9, 7, 8, 9. Verse 3, he answered them, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Verses 7 to, uh, to 9, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Then 1 Timothy uh, 1, 3 through 7. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, 
which promotes speculations rather than steward, than the stewardship from which God from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. I feel as though um, this First Timothy passage is the most anti-Catholic passage. It just seems like it's right there on the surface. He, he's, Paul is outright saying, do not devote yourselves to myths and endless genealogies. And so for those who may not know, the decision of who is to be the Pope is to find an unwed man who is of the genealogy of Peter. And so they spend significant amount of time tracking down the genealogies of Peter. And, and not only that, it says, don't, don't devote yourself to those things and speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. And so the contrast is, by doing this, you are not devoting yourself to the appropriate stewardship. And instead, what are they doing? They're using genealogies to determine stewardship. Who is to be the steward of the faith? And so then from this, they, they talk about how they go into vain discussions and teaching of law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. I would imagine those who either have been in grown up Catholic, perhaps catechized and baptized and gone through the whole process or no Catholics, rarely, rarely is scripture the go-to. It is these ordinances, these other sources of revelation and information. Uh, my sister-in-law grew up in a very Catholic church, or a very Catholic family. She's done multiple, grew up doing multiple pilgrimages, going to Brazil, um, seeing uh, El Cristo de Redentor, uh, del Redentor, and then um, uh, going to the, she's gone to the Vatican along with her siblings. Their family maybe didn't have a ton of income, but this was a priority, you need to do a pilgrimage. And then uh, they spent their whole lives going to mass, being baptized in the church. This was their whole life. And uh, there was a point at which um, being around our family and coming to a Christian church, although um, I'm not confident in her salvation, there was a point at which she was reading her Bible. And her dad was, when she would talk to her dad, and her dad was quite furious about her going to a Christian church and dating a Christian, um, uh, someone who claimed to be a Christian and my brother, her dad kept saying, the phrase, my brother would tell us, he keeps saying, like, why do you keep talking about the Bible? Why do you keep talking about the Bible? It's about the church. It's not about the Bible. It's about the church. And we see this in practical Catholicism, in the actual outworkings, which is, although there are things that seem on the surface to be said um, that, although very clearly are wrong, they say things like the holding up in high regard the teaching of Scripture. As soon as you outsource the knowledge and authority on what scripture teaches to someone outside of the scripture itself and the word of God itself, someone else has the authority to say what the word of God is. The outworkings are practically stop reading scripture. You start to do ritualistic things and you start to worship other things. And then the focus becomes, well, those ritualistic things, you need to look to the church to tell you what those are and they are good works. 
So this rolls us into our, um, uh, our next section, which is, should not be unfamiliar to us, which is um, Jesus is not sufficient for salvation. Uh, Catholic Jesus is not sufficient for salvation. Uh, they do not have a Jesus uh, who was able to do uh, a sufficient sacrifice to provide faith alone, grace alone, salvation. Um, instead, it's Jesus plus works. Uh, whoever has the microphone, if you'd read that quote for us, um, and then we'll keep moving. If by works we mean works prior to conversion, and thus originating from ourselves, then it is clear Jesus did not teach salvation by works. If, however, we mean final or eschatological salvation and post-conversion works originating from God himself, then yes, Jesus did teach salvation by works in the same way that James taught justification by works, catholic.com. Yeah, not, not good, right? So as long, if, if, if we're saying, so for them, they're even uh, for, uh, they're referring to if you are converted first, then after conversion, you have salvation through works, right? This progressive earning of salvation. Yeah, then we, then we agree. It's, it's, not by, it, it's not by works because you were converted first. But to be converted is not to be saved. It is not eschatological salvation. What they're saying is you are not justified day one if you have faith uh, in, in Christ. And then let's move on to the, uh, the next paragraph there. Whoever dies in his sins, even if he professes to believe in Christ, does not truly believe in him. And even if that which exists without works be called faith, such faith is dead in itself, as we read in the epistle bearing the name of James Origen. And then that last, that last paragraph. Your faith has saved you. We do not understand the Lord to say simply that they will be saved who have believed in whatever manner, even if, it were, even if works have not followed. To begin with, it was to the Jews alone that he spoke this phrase who had lived in accord with the law and blamelessly, and who had lacked only faith, only faith in the Lord, Clement of Alexandria. Okay. The Jews, this, this was only in reference to the Jews because the Jews lived blamelessly. They just didn't believe in God. The first commandment, okay, how did they live blamelessly but not believe in God? Um, all right. Let's get into, I mean, I, I think any of us who have had a very long sermon series through the book of Romans, I, in fact, I believe, um, uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember the number, I think John Piper had like, it was over a hundred sermons to make his way through Romans, at one point having four sermons on one verse, verse alone, right? Romans is like the place we tend to go to because it is very clear um, in its teaching against these lies uh, from Catholicism. Let's go to a couple of the key ones here. Romans 8, 29 through 30. Um, and then uh, whoever has the mic next will go Romans 3, 21 through 31. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. 
Romans 3, 21 through 31, or excuse, yeah, 3, 21 through 31. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ, for whom all believe, for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth to, as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might, might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Um, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. It, it, it's clear. Like I, I, Exposition would be fantastic on this. I would love uh, exposition, but it, it is so abundantly clear. It is a gift. It is grace. It is a, a gift of justification that comes through faith. These are things that are not just elementary and foundational. These are essential doctrines. And Catholicism teaches exactly the opposite, which is you need to have enough. You need to have enough. Your works, in addition to your faith, um, are, are what is required. But if the gift is the sacrifice of Jesus, what are you saying if the sacrifice of Jesus is not enough? He needs a little bit out of you. He needs something out of you. And what we need out of you is, are the things we dictate. Um, we are back to the exact same lies of every other religion. We're back to the exact same lies. So I put down there that grid. My hope is that it, you put it together uh, for yourselves. I, I would hate, I, I've run too long in my commentary on this, but I would hate to um, move along and close this down without at least giving some people who uh, have lots of rubbings with Catholicism uh, or any other comments to make a comment. Yeah, I got one hand. I was just gonna make mention of, they have a common theme of a mediator issue. So they pray to saints and in doing so, they're totally ignoring that Jesus is the final high priest as Hebrew te Hebrews teaches us, and he's the one mediator between God and man. You also don't need to go to another man and confess your sins um, to be forgiven. You go straight to God, and anyway, so I, I think that's an important Yeah, they'll claim, they'll claim, no, this is just like me saying, hey, brother, will you pray for me? I have this tough thing coming up. And there is a clear distinction between saying, dear Mary, and praying to an individual versus saying, Nick, pastor, please pray for me. I'm going through a tough time. Having the saints pray together, and yet they will claim it is the same. It's almost like you're going through an amplifier or a megaphone. The saints are closer to Jesus now that they're in glory. So if you pray to them, they are more likely to push 
your prayer through, that it will get heard, that you will get what you want. And so um, uh, we're back to then the deification of man. And so they would try to slip in, well, you ask other saints all the time to pray. So you're telling me now that they're dead and closer to God, that their prayers are less effective? No, what I'm saying is you cannot pray to anyone else but God. Um, God, Jesus taught us how we are to pray. God our Father, through Jesus, by the Holy Spirit. Any other comments? Okay, I do want to end this with the ultimate goal of this is that we are secure in our understanding of Jesus. And there are many more aspects of the doctrine of Christ that need to be understood. And yet when we rub shoulders with these other faiths, our thoughts should be, one, understanding our, uh, our Jesus, but two, a heart of evangelism. Most Catholics that I've come across, so I can't speak for all of you, but I believe most of you have experienced, they do not know their scriptures. This is the exact same as all these others that claim any good that comes from scripture, whether Islam and the, talking about the Torah, Judaism talking about the Torah, um, having uh, uh, Mormons talking about the Bible as a whole, Jehovah's Witnesses, Bible as a whole. They do not know their scriptures. And so I would say, as with, I keep saying for all these others, your first place you should go is to teach them about the true Christ and what he did and to take them to scripture to evangelize, not to take down and dismantle the Pope, not to take down councils, uh, Council of Trent, not to go and point out uh, sexual sin by previous rulers in the Catholic Church. Although those are all very real things, none of those things get them salvation. It is by faith alone in Jesus uh, and having repented for our sins. So that is where we need to go with Catholics as well as everyone else. Please join me in prayer uh, as we prepare for worship. God, I am so grateful that I have nothing to add to secure my salvation. I have nothing to add. All that is good, all that is ever done that is good by me is nothing but your works being done through me, your Holy Spirit and your faithfulness to me to allow me to be obedient. Lord, this goes for all of us when we say we are grateful that it is a free gift of salvation that comes through Christ alone and not through our works, Lord. Help us as we come across Catholics not to be quick to say, oh yeah, they believe a little different, or you know, there's a portion of the Catholic Church that does, uh, that are probably Christians and try to brush aside or assuage our concerns about them, Lord. Instead, help us to see that it is clear they do not worship the same Jesus as us, and if they do not worship the one true Jesus as God, they are doomed, Lord. Help us to evangelize, help us to reach out to them and help them to see the glory of Christ and his dying on the cross and what the ramifications, consequences are for both the sinner, the, those who reject Christ, and those who believe. Lord, I pray for the worship service we're about to partake in. May you be glorified. May our hearts be there, worshiping in spirit and truth, keeping our focus on you, not on, not on the men who teach, not on um, the music or, or the enjoyable nature of this, though those are real blessings. Keep our focus on the risen Christ, the one who our salvation is secured and guaranteed by. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.